You can't let them go. Uh, how much do we owe you? Nothing, lads. Go. God be with you. Oh, thank you. Wait! You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. Thank you. Beware the moon, lads. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 192, and today we're going to be talking about The American Werewolf in London. This great and fantastic film stars David Naughton, Griffin Dune, or Dunn, 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 and the gorgeous Jenny Agutter. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark, uh, don't call me Warren Zevon, Slover, obscure, I know. Gentlemen, stay on the podcast. Keep clear of the Pruno. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good call. And uh, also joining us are our good and dear friend Ken. I don't need a full moon to become a wolf. Roni. I feel a bad moon arising. <laughs> uh, and also joining us is our other very good and dear friend, uh, the Reverend Deuteronomy Skaggs. Well, this is rather obscure, but uh, anybody that knows the actor in the movie, all I got to say is, I'm a pepper too. Oh, God. Yes, Pe- Doc- <laughs> Dr. Oh. Pepper. David Naughton. Uh, let's see. Well, our other good and dear friend and uh, co founder of the show, Jeff, uh, I get mistaken for a werewolf all the time. We, even without a full moon, Muncie is. <laughs> Is uh, who knows where he's at. He just said it's not a good night, which I, I did actually go out and check. Is it a full moon tonight? I don't know. No, it was a full moon about a week ago. Was it? We, okay, so maybe he's maybe he's behind schedule. So anyway, uh, he may pop in a little bit later. So if he does, we'll just uh, we'll bring him in. All right, guys. But we're going to be talking about uh, to kick off the uh, or not kick off, but to uh, finish out the uh, the month of Halloween. We're going to be doing the American Werewolf in London, nineteen eighty one. I remember seeing this, gosh, I think it was probably like in the late 80s. Uh, I think I rented it because uh, obviously in 81, I was, I think I might have been about seventh or eighth grade, somewhere around there. So obviously not a movie I would have gone to the, to the theater to see. John Landis directed, you know, as we said, stars David Naughton and Jenny Agutter and uh, who's, what the hell's the other? Clifford, Clifford Dunn. And, uh, you know, there's a few other people in there. Uh, obviously, Frank Oz, who I think is in every John Landis movie that he makes. Uh, he's in this uh, for a brief, almost like a cameo type of appearance. But, uh, I mean, outside of that, it it's kind of weird because you almost you, you almost walk into this thinking this is going to be a comedy. And it is kind of a comedy in a way. It's, it's definitely a gory movie by any stretch. I mean, a, a lot more than um, I would have ever ever suspected from, you know, coming from them or coming from a John Landis movie and great makeup. Uh, in fact, this actually won an Oscar for, I think best makeup or best. Yeah. Best makeup. I think it was like I said, saw it like in the late eighties, 
really enjoyed it then. And I don't know. I've never really seen these guys in anything else. Uh, I mean, Jenny Agutter, I've seen her in other stuff. Um, obviously she was in Logan's run classic role for her back, back in the day. But, uh, outside of that, I don't really remember the other actors, uh, really being anything, but, um, I don't know. Initial they've thought. Done a lot, they've, they've done a lot of TV. These two guys have just done a lot of TV roles mainly. Is that, yeah, it's, it seemed like they kind of transitioned out to the, to the TV yeah. world and, and that, but, uh, well, Gr- Griffin Dunn actually had a, yes, a fair amount of success in movies for many years. I mean, very, very busy in movies, not just TV, but again, a number of movies I kind of like. He's in well, Johnny Dangerously, for example. Well, he, his family, Dominic Dunn, I think, I believe that's his name, is a writer, and, uh, yeah. did a lot during the ocean. And his sister, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was killed. Uh, she was an actress. I think she was in Poltergeist. I could be wrong. But she was killed by a stalker fan. No shit. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Dunn family is, was pretty well known. And obviously the tragedy surrounded that. But, you know, and Dominic Dunn, I think they're still, I mean, he's been dead for a few years, the father, but you know, he, he's still on like one of the crime channels or something where they talks about cases. But I think he's a, a well-known writer, uh, came to American prominence, even though he was well known that we would know him from the OJ trial. Um, and again, his daughter, I don't know, I think she was killed in the 90s by a stalker. And a lot of the stalking stuff that got to be big was because of her death. Oh, wow. Well, that's a downer. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's Halloween, man. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Well, <laughs> how do we want to imagine imaginary killing by imaginary <laughs> creatures, not just creepy dudes killing women? Did any of you guys see this in the theater? I did. No. I didn't. No. I saw it when it came out on cable. Okay. Yeah, that's it, it was a big deal. I mean, uh yeah. it 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 was a big deal because it was uh you know, the the whole twist I mean it was kinda of obviously the redo on the werewolf, uh big name director at the time. Uh Naughton Naughton wasn't well known. Again, honestly, he was more known for the frickin' Dr. Pepper commercials that, as a dancer and singer than he was anything. This was his big shot, as I recall. And I thought he'd be I thought he'd be everywhere after that in his career. I mean he like Ken said, he did TV, but it never really took off as a movie career. But it's puzzling to me because, I mean, this was a major film when it came out, and I thought he did a nice job, but he just... Well, he he did, and it's kind of stupid to keep harping on the fact he did some commercials, but there was a big campaign by Dr. Pepper back in those days, and for several years, he was on all the time. And a guy's charismatic, good-looking guy, sings, dances, all that. A little bit of trivia that I discovered when I was doing this is, you know, he had this contract to promote Dr. Pepper, and that was paying his bills. He did this movie, which had a nude scene, and Dr. Pepper dropped him. So he lost the Dr. Pepper contract because of this. And then his movie career, although he's a busy guy, he, you know, he never graduated to the leading man. This was his shot, and it didn't work for some reason. Don't know why. Well, yeah. except for the fact he's not that great of an actor. I mean, he's, he's a nice not, guy, but like, kind of, kind of wooden. He, he's a TV actor. He's not a, he's not a movie actor. That's what I kept thinking when I was watching him. And Costner is. Well, Costner, <laughs> Costner's better looking. That's what got him his break. And he's energetic. This guy's a little. He, he's just kind of a mensch, not in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I don't think his acting was anything to scream and shout about. I mean, of, of everybody in there, he was really like 
like Ken said, was he was actually very wooden. Now, you know, come to think of it, I mean, I think Griffin Dunn was pretty awesome, but, you know, the rest of them were like, hmm, or he was. Yeah, Griffin Dunn is the better actor of the two, but yeah. a thing I will give credit to Landis and the writers and just the whole package, they did a really good job. I mean, it's a buddy movie, basically. These two are buddies, and then they mm-hmm. run into werewolves. Right. But they did a good job of building that relationship, and there was a bunch of humor, and, you know, at the same time, there's a bunch of humor popping in and out of sort of a, a, a dark humor, uh, but it's still fun to watch that dynamic between these two guys, and I, that, that persevered through the whole movie. Well, I think it's considered a horror comedy almost if, if you look, if you see references to it. Yeah. And, and just, you know, we're a little bit into the show already, but just, you know, quick background is, is that, uh, you know, for anybody who's never seen this, uh, it's two American college students are on a walking tour of Britain and are attacked by a werewolf that none of the local population will admit exists. And, you know, and that, that's really what it is. It's just, you know, these two doofuses are just kind of walking down the street and, you know, they, they disregarded two times. There were two times they were said that, that they were told, stay on the road, stay off the moors. And what did they do? They walk off the, off the road. But, um, <laughs> in the moors, into the moors. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of, he had it coming to him. All right. That fell flat. So anyway, I, I, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, they were, they certainly were warned the, the villagers could have been a little more friendly about it. So, yeah. You think? <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of this. There's there are things that happen in this movie where you go, well, that didn't make any sense. Like, why are they, why are they basically kicking them out to get eaten by a werewolf? They're telling them don't get eaten by the werewolf. It's like, yeah, it's, well, it's a full moon. Yeah, but get get the f out. Good luck. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd really like that town. I mean, it seemed like the only uh, female in the entire town was the bar wench, and she was not exactly. Uh, you know, no, you've got a point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, everybody goes to the the pub to hunker down, but it was just a bunch of crusty old farmers, basically. Right. Well, and then why 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 are they going out afterwards to hunt the damn thing? I mean, uh, again, guilt. well, guilt. yeah, guilt. Okay, so. Yeah, I think that's why. I think they went out there because you know, it was after they left, they could hear the you know the werewolf, and it's like, oh, geez, you shouldn't have let them go, and. Well, and even the woman says that. The barkeep says right. that. I mean, because it was, because it's in the script. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's in the script. That's just the way it was supposed to play out. That was a cool, yeah, I, that was a cool looking pub though, didn't you think? Yeah, it was based from the trivia off in a real pub. They just changed the name. Boy, I love that. Love the bar sign. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The slaughtered lamb. The slaughtered yeah. lamb. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting there about many years ago, uh, in my business life, I uh, I called on a guy out in Danville, Indiana. He was an architect, and uh, I don't know why. I ended up spending the day just he 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 was getting close to retirement. Talked to him about all the buildings he built, and just kind of hung out at his office. And he told me about a walking trip he and his wife and another couple did, like out in that neck of the woods. And he said, you know, you would you'd literally walk these little cow paths, and you'd go over the rise and. There'd be this bar in just in the middle of freaking nowhere, and you go in there, and there'd people be hanging out, and it was just <laughs> kind of like the slaughtered lamb, literally, which I thought was interesting. And I've always related that to this movie when I when I, I think of him talking about his walking trips in England. You know, when I when I saw that scene from the movie, 
That's pretty cool. I don't know. Those kind of little pubs like that just always, I don't know. There's something kind of charming and, you know, parochial about them. I just think they're kind of cool to see. It is. Oh, and, it is. And they're, and they're cool to hang out in. I mean, when I spent some time in England, they're, they're wonderful. And they all got a unique personality. And usually the locals, unlike the locals at that pub, they're very friendly and they love to talk to Yanks. Do they really? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it just seemed like... I mean, a... When you're kind of out, they, they enjoy talking to Yanks. I mean, part of it is they want to hear our, our accent. But they just, you know, they've got in their mind what Yanks are. Um, you know, especially if you're out, not in the metropolitan areas. Right. Versus... So and they just you know they're they're folk they just want to talk they're just like the rest of us and, you know where are you from what do you do that kind of stuff but yeah they're not anyone that I was at and there was never any issue of you know um, screw they didn't off chase get you out, out of the moors at night yeah screw off get out of here and have fun with the werewolf that we knows out there <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, I, I thought the bartender, she uh, did give some what I would be considered to be sage advice, uh, particularly as I'm older. I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of life experience. You know, I've I, uh, been around a little bit. and Unfortunately, as I get older, I recognize that she's dead on when she says, if it's something hot you want, you can have tea. <laughs> <laughs> At this point. <laughs> I like that. Do you have tea? If you want something hot, you can have tea. Do you have any tea? No, but I'll make some. (laughs) There's just not not the best menu. Yeah, yeah. There's not much to eat there. No. So I think you know, talking about the movie, I, I I think what I liked about it is it's kind of a different take on the werewolf flick. You know, um, the whole. How do you become a werewolf? And then, uh, you know, you never see in werewolf movies, you just see people getting ripped to shreds. Not in this movie. You know, your, your buddy comes back and says, well, thanks, you just created a whole bunch of walkers, essentially. We, we can't die. Um, so that makes you think in this movie, okay, the other guy was running around as a werewolf. So he probably had about 30 or 40 people chasing after him saying, would you just die? Yeah. Um, the previous werewolf. But I thought it was an interesting, you know, it's kind of, it, it's kind of a horror movie, but it's kind of not. It's kind of a comedy, but it's kind of not. It's kind of a romantic movie, but it's kind of not. It's, it's a different take on the genre. Um, you know, you don't have to have, I love the bit, don't, don't I have to be killed with a silver bullet? And, and his buddy just kind of, in his moldering state. Right. Yeah. Glares at him. And that's, you know, and, and it, it's a, it's a different kind of horror movie. Um, and don't get, don't get me wrong. I think it's the, the scenes where the werewolf appears are, are well done and they're kind of Hitchcockian in the sense of close ups and then lots of blood. Um, but not, not a saw type gore fest. But I, I, I thought it was, you know, it's not a great movie, but it's an interesting kind of niche werewolf movie and a different take on the werewolf movie and the thing that i think you know just really it is a buddy flick that's the other thing you mentioned brian i think it's a good buddy flick that way and the best part of that buddy flick is one of your buddies is dead you killed him and he's kind of saying look no offense but 
Um, here's how we solve this. And every time he sees his buddy, he continues to molder further into <laughs> I know. decomposition. You know, at the porno theater, he basically was just black in terms yeah. of, at that point. Yeah. And, well, but, and, and the other I, thing that is just amazing about this movie, even to date, is is the makeup effects. Well, I think I, I think one of the big deal. I mean, one this movie came out, it was a big deal, and I think in part it was it was modern makeup because it you know this was really before there were not there weren't really special. In fact, there weren't special effects in this movie per se. Well, I mean, other than some of the like his hand growing, but. But right. it was where it was where modern makeup met the horror flick on a big basis, and um, and it, 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 even though it wasn't a gore fest, it was certainly gorier than any werewolf movie you'd seen up to that point. And so, yes. so the the special the makeup and stuff allowed for that. What was interesting to me, for example, I don't know if you remember the scene where the guy's on the escalator, and yeah. uh, it very briefly shows him kind of in the shot getting ready to go up the escalator. Now, a movie today, it would show him bounding up the escalator like the Hulk or something and tearing a guy to shreds. Well, they didn't have that, you know, they, one, probably couldn't afford that level of special effects at that time because they right. had it, but but it was uber expensive. So so I, I thought they did, they, they one, they used a lot of the great past horror movies in, in the sense that a lot of it is anticipation and you don't see it, but you did see more here than you saw in the past. But they used, they combined all that with what at the time was, was cutting edge, uh, 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 makeup and really made what I would call the, the first 21st century horror movie. I really believe that about this. I mean, it, this movie was innovative in that sense. It, it introduced kind of the modern ethos, what, what movie making had become in the eighties and would become into, uh, the classic horror flick. Obviously put the very different twist where you had an American in England, uh, which was kind of a nice twist or interesting twist. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was, there's, I mean, there was, this movie actually set some standards or at least broke some old standards, you know, at the time. So I think it's kind of important for that. Well, it was definitely a development from the classic, you know, Lon Chaney and other Wolfman movies of the thirties and forties. And I mean, not that you need to be making lots of Wolfman movies, but there was a long dry spell for the Wolfman, you know, films. And it's something that, uh, you know, the people of Landis's generation grew up on those. And this was his tribute to them. Uh, but it was certainly a, it's a, I, I don't think the right phrase is a stretch, but it was just, Oh shoot. It was discordant for him to do this movie. I mean, he was sitting there and you know, he'd done Kentucky Fried movie and got his big breakthrough. Then he did Animal House and that was massive. Then he did the Blues Brothers and that was massive. So the whole, you know, film going public knew what John Landis movies were like. And then this came out. I mean, this was a between uh Blues Brothers and Trading Places. So everybody thought, Oh yeah, he's you know, he's a wacky comedy guy. And this was just something he wanted to do. I mean, he, he liked it, he wrote it, he thought of it, and he wanted to do a werewolf movie. But it certainly didn't fit in with what the rest of the people were expecting from John Landis. And he got, there's a little bit of a pushback there because, uh, 
if if I remember correctly, uh, so, uh, you, you guys were mentioning it did very well when it came out. It was you know a lot of good positive buzz, but it also had a little bit of negativity from people who felt like they had been you know lured into one kind of movie and shown another. Uh, I mean, a little bit of the same effect we discussed back when we were talking about Event Horizon. Remember, Mark, when you and yeah, I were yeah. talking about how you know, yeah. we thought we were going in for one movie, and all of a sudden I was like, what the hell? That's not what I signed up and bought a ticket for. Right. And I think that's the same here. I think people thought, oh, a wacky comedy about werewolves. No, not – I mean, there's comedy there, but it's not a wacky movie. Yeah, and it's not a horror movie either. Well, Ken, you, you mentioned that nobody had done a werewolf movie in a long time, and Landis probably had grown up seeing the old Lon Chaney stuff, and you're right, like Hammer – Hammer kind of sustained the horror stuff, at least in England, through the 60s and 70s. But Hammer was, a lot of their stuff was, was, was frankly, was Dracula-related. I mean, I think they did one werewolf movie with Oliver Reed in it when he was young. Uh, but that was it. I mean, nobody, nobody had done a werewolf movie that I can recall. I mean, hell, you're, you're looking back into the Michael Landon days. I was a teenage werewolf sort of stuff. I mean, yeah, nobody like 20 done one. years. Yeah. No, I, I liked it. I mean, uh, one interesting character. Uh, you, you see the guy that was playing chess, the big guy in the bar. Yeah, what Brian Glover? I think. Brian Glover, who had been a wrestler in his life, and you know he'd been in a lot of been in a lot of movies over his life. But but an interesting guy. And, and obviously, you you mentioned Jenny Agarter, which by the way, if any of you saw the Avengers, she was in that. Yeah. Recently, so yep. uh, she was but, in the Eagle Has Landed. Yep, which we reviewed. Oh, she, that's she was right. She was. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's, and I mean, I think she is, she is an unbelievably attractive woman. And just, I, I just, oh. Well, you I know mean, my proclivities. There's nothing that that some uh, saline or some other substance couldn't make better. But. It, yeah. And with her, it's like, <laughs> I mean, what, what, what guy, that is like the ultimate fantasy is where you're, you know, the, the hot nurse, not only is she taking care of you in the hospital, but she's, she's going to take you home too. And you know, yeah, I, 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 and I'm just going to say, okay, what is it? Was it like that back then where, I mean, he was, when he woke up from his, you know, after the, the werewolf attack and everything, it's like, you know, he's like, well, how long have I been here? Oh, about two weeks. You were in a coma. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then he was there for like another two weeks. It's like, how, what, I mean, you, do, unless you're like in intensive care. <laughs> well, it's the know? National Health Service. I mean. Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering. It's like. Price is no object. Evidently not because he was getting, I mean, those, hell, that breakfast he got was, was like top notch. It's like, shit, I'd go to a hospital in England. I mean, it was, he was doing pretty good over there. I kept thinking the same thing. I'm thinking, like, God, I mean, how long has this guy been in? Yeah, it's like, okay, well, that's what the what doctor said. He goes, you got some bumps and scars and bruises and that, but oh, you're okay. But we're going to keep you here for another week anyway. <laughs> yeah, and his parents never – and the other thing is, well, you can tell his parents hate his guts because your your son your son has been mauled by a crazed psychopath, is what we told you, and his friend is dead. Um, and he's going to be in the hospital for a while. Clearly, mom Sucks and dad hate him. his guts. Clearly, yeah, mom and dad hate his guts because they never showed up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that just that just cracked me up to the fact that it's like you know this guy probably was in that hospital for almost a month for what? <laughs> you got some bumps and bruises, but you'll be fine. 
Right. Well, we're just going to keep you here for a while. Well, you know, because he had American insurance. That must know? have that must have been it. That could you be. Know? Yes. We we can milk that insurance. We can make good money off that American. I ran into a little bit of that when I was uh had my car wreck a few years ago. The the doctor actually told me like, "Look, well, if you were like just some dude you know, with lousy insurance, I would have chucked you out of here, you know, months ago, but you got good insurance, so we'll just keep checking on you every couple of weeks just to make sure. Like, yep. okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Same thing. But I will point out, you know, I mean, sort of touched on it is this has a pretty big cast, uh, but most of it are just British character actors. I mean, they're all good guys. I mean, we got some guys that were like in some like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels or Snatch, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. A lot of these guys did a lot of other stuff, but you know the focus here is on you know David Naughton, Jenny Agutter, Griffin Dunn, and to a lesser degree, uh, there's a British actor named John Woodvine who plays Doctor Hirsch, mm-hmm. and Doctor Hirsch is trying to get to the bottom of what exactly is going on here, and he's kind of figuring it out, but not quite. I like his character. I like the part where he's on the phone and what does he make the comedy he goes. What I I survived Rommel. I could survive a night out with such and such. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also said, "Tell him I passed away." Oh, Lord, <laughs> I love that line because he did not want to talk. Which, which, by the way, made me sit back and reconsider. I'm like, yeah, you still got guys who fought in World War II, you know, who probably are at the end of their, you know, practicing careers at that point. They're still right. out oh, there yeah. working. Oh. Yeah. Well, 1980. What? It's uh, what? 30 years, five years earlier, yeah, you'd yeah. be in your prime for a doctor. You'd be in your prime. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that just struck me. I thought, yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, well, you know, I mean, again, aside, I mean, I knew guys growing up who I knew, I knew old, old guys growing up as a kid who fought in the First World War. You know, they were in their eighties, but I knew them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've commented on this show before that y'all, you know, when I was growing up, my neighborhood was full of. World War II vets. I mean, every other guy on my street, you know, did something. If it wasn't in World War II, it was in Korea. So, you know, that there was a different world back then in terms of that kind of thing. I mean, getting back to the movie, we got we got a, a decent cast, but it's it's not really an. Well, I don't know. I think it's driven more by the writing than the actors. That movie was all about Landis, in my opinion. It was his. By the way, it's interesting. There's actually talk by his son about remaking that movie. Really? Yeah, as recently as August. About he said, "There's only one movie of my dad's I want to remake," and he he said something along. Here's some code words: Moors, uh, day trippers, <laughs> so forth. So, well, they so, did a sequel, but the sequel was horrible and faded away and didn't do anything. Which movie are you talking Paris, about? Right. Which movie yeah, are you talking about American again? Werewolf in Paris. Oh, this. Oh, okay. I didn't know they did yeah. one with. Uh, yeah. Huh. Isn't I never saw that. Had a whole new cast and it didn't go anywhere. And I don't even know if Landis was involved in that one. I I think he was. Yeah, he was involved, but very not hands on. Right. It was they're they're hoping just to cash a check and it didn't cash. Yeah, because this movie cost. About ten million. It made sixty million at the box office. So you know it was a hit. That's a big. That's a lot. Yeah. You know, nineteen eighty one. It was a hit. I don't think get a you know got a got an Academy Award. So yeah. When you think about it, it's kind of it's it's a departure from what you were getting in the late seventies, early eighties for horror movies. 
because you were getting Halloween, Halloween, um, you know, be my bloody Valentine, all screen train or whatever that one was. I mean, you were getting the terror train, terror train, terror train. There you go. I mean, this is a little more, this is less schlock horror movie. Um, and it's, it's kind of, I wouldn't say elevating the genre. I mean, the thing was also coming out at this time. But it was it was a departure from the slasher movies that were that were kind of uh, becoming the norm at that period for for what mm-hmm. was considered horror movies. Well, we I was talking about this with um, with some friends um, over at the mill on um, Saturday. You know, we were talking about like the you know a lot of the horror movies that were coming out of the eighties, and it it literally was that you know the typical the the slasher type thing you know the friday the 13th and even halloween we talked about halloween but halloween really wasn't a slasher fi- flick in, no, in, in, the, in the sense i no. mean it was um psychological thriller yeah, yeah i mean yeah i mean people got killed you watched them die but it wasn't yeah i mean it wasn't blood and gore and all this other stuff i mean it was it was actually extremely tame um maybe not for that period of time but i mean by today's standards you know now when you've got Shows like Hostel and Saw and all those other, like, like, I don't even want to get into those. But, I mean, it's, you know, this this one was still pretty, I, I think, you know, it was still pretty gruesome. You know, this yeah. this, this one gruesome here. gruesome Halloween by far. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this, this movie was actually pretty gruesome, I think, especially for the time. And I think it really... Um, it probably threw a lot of people off, too, because it's like, yeah, okay, oh, it's John Landis. Oh, this will be... This will be interesting, and you're going there, going, "Oh my God!" There's like a throat getting ripped out, and there's body mm-hmm. parts over here, and it's and 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 I think, and in fact, I even read some of the trivia is that there were some people actually left the theater, interesting, because they were just, you know, they think they're going to go in there and see, you know, again, a typical type of John Landis, almost like comedy style, and it's like this is this is horrific stuff here. And yeah, back, that's back to Ken's point where there's a little bit of bait and switch in terms yeah. of people went to see the movie. Yeah. And which, you know, I'll, I'll give Landis some, you know, some chops for that because it's, you know, I think that's kind of neat. But there, there was a lot of, I mean, there was a pretty heavy overdose of humor on this. Uh, I mean, just, you know, the conversations with, uh, you know, with Griffin Dunn after he had been dead, uh, that alone is just, you know, it's comedy gold. Yeah, well, even in the and again in the the, the porno theater, you had the couple that had been recently killed, and they were kind of they were funny. Yeah, I, mean, I can't remember some of their lines, but yeah. it was just it was funny some of the stuff they were saying. Yeah, it trying was, to tell them about the best ways to kill himself and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to do it this way, just <laughs> did she did she take say take pills or something? Yeah, like yeah take pills. sleeping pills. <laughs> well, I I want to make a, a point which I thought was. Kind of funny and a little different was the fact that, you know, there's some scenes where he ducks into this, again, a porno theater and there's a scene that, you know, some, some dialogue occurs and all, but they actually spend a fair amount of time sort of lingering on the movie that he's watching where yeah. like it's actually, you know, I mean, you're watching the actors, there's dialogue there, you know, there are strange things happening on the screen and you know, that's, that, that struck me because usually okay, I've, I've been seeing a lot of movies where, okay, the guy ducks into a porno movie. You'd see a quick shot of action on the screen to establish what you're do, what, where you're at. And then you focus on the characters. This thing went back and forth. I think Atlantis just was, again, they were able to add a little bit of humor to the movie by, and, and lighten it up by that scene. 
Well, the, the great thing, the gal's in bed with the guy. They're doing it. The guy breaks in and says, what are you doing? She goes, oh, is it, I'm not your wife. I'm not your, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wrong room. And yeah, they did like, I'm, I'm like, who is that woman? And you know, is that, is that, is that something I'd be familiar with? <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, he did linger on that a long time. No, it's like, I, said, I think it's a, I think it's a solid movie. I think it, um, it, it, I think it does a very good job of balancing between, you know, being a, a pretty decent horror movie while at the same time, um, you know, layering on the comedy, you know, to, to kind of lighten it up. Um, but I don't know. I mean, did you, th- I thought the, I mean, I thought the whole transformation scenes, you know, when Naughton is turning into the werewolf, I, I thought those were kind of okay, but I don't know. It just, well, I mean, again, it was, you know, the, the, you know, they they didn't have the CGI that we have today, and uh, I mean, it's not Lon Chaney where you have a free shot of him adding more makeup. You know, yeah, you know, so uh, you know, they they really did. I mean, I, I'm assuming they had some kind of mechanical device that represented the hand stretching out. So, uh, so again, no special effects. That every everything you saw in that movie was either mechanical or it was actual makeup. Uh, and for that reason, again, I'm kudos to them because. It was it was pretty cutting edge. I mean, you mentioned like Halloween a couple of years before I me. Mean, Halloween, just a guy running around with a mask. I mean, by the way, good movie. I actually think Halloween is a great movie. I, I could tell you the story of how I saw it, which is kind of an interesting story, and then and the afterwards. But but when I went and see Halloween, I didn't expect anything like that. But it, but to I think Steve or Ken's point remarks, it's also like psychological in that movie. This movie, you're seeing stuff. I mean, you're seeing stuff you've never seen before. Right. Yeah, especially to that level. Like I said, you know, when they showed him, you know, when they show the werewolf tearing people apart, I mean, he's he's ripping them a new one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, those scenes are, but they're graphic, but they're not what people would today consider graphic, um, because they're just become, I think, in inured to it because of things like Saw and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the thing that just is amazing. You know, the, those effects are, but the transformation effects, when he transforms the first time, that, you know, you think about it, that's a practical effect, and that is really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole transformation is just, to even watching it, and I hadn't seen the movie since I, God, watched it on cable many, many years ago. I was impressed. I was, that H- was, was that Henson or Stan Winston or who, who did that? I, I, mean, I didn't pay attention. Who, um, um, no, it was, um, was it Rick Baker? I think no. it was a guy named Rick no. Baker. No, he's big. He's big name. Yeah. Yeah, Rick Baker. Yeah, because he and he and Stan Winston were the big. I think the two big guys that for decades did it. I think one of them's passed away since. But yeah, because I mean, he's, he was renowned for. He did Star Wars. He did The Howling. Um, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. Um, Harry and the Hendersons. I mean, the guy's got a list a mile long. I mean, most recently he did uh, Men in Black, Tron, Tropic Thunder. Uh, you know, the guy is just, he's, he's one of those, he's one of those who's who of, um, makeup effects in, in Hollywood. Okay. Brian, I meant to ask you, what did you think of, uh, uh, Jenny Agater? Me? Yeah. I always kind of wonder what you thought, cause I know that's, you know, you, you being the big 70s schlock movie fan. Well, like I said, that uh, she could. Uh, she's a pretty lady, 
but everything can be can be improved. And uh, <laughs> really, saying, Steve is, is very Mila esque. Yeah, I, I, I think there's. I mean, I I, I wouldn't say she needs a little more Raquel Welch. Do you think so? Of course, every, everybody does. But y'all, you know, having said that, I mean, she she was and is very active, very successful. But back then, seventies, early eighties, she was sought out for many, many roles. Yeah, I mean, she was everybody's pretty Brit. Seemed like. Yeah. Yes. I mean, she's been in a ton of movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, a ton. So I don't know. I just I just thought she was. Just pretty much of a knockout, but no, that's just me. Actually, pretty wholesome looking gal. Uh, pretty. I mean, just just no two ways about it. Yeah, I would argue with you, Steve. I I agree. Yeah, yeah that, and that blew me away when I was you know watching the Avengers here, you know, a couple years back, and all of a sudden I realized that's Jenny Agutter up there. I mean, you can't really see her that well, but that's who it was. I didn't realize it until the credits, but yeah, no, I I recognized her. And she's she's held up well. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Like us. Yeah. De- yeah. I'm, uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, I'm going to do uh, just a few uh, bits of trivia on this one because there's there's quite a bit, but I pulled out a few things to uh, you know just to kind of chat about. But you know, we talked about the the makeup, and uh, according to this, it's this is the first film to earn the Academy Award for Best Makeup. Uh, and that category was created in 1981. So, hmm. uh, so Star Wars didn't get it back in the day because it well, didn't exist. No, there yeah, was, was well, that's spe- the special effects. This was for makeup. Okay. Yeah. Makeup. Yeah. Uh, studio execs hoped that John Landis would cast Dan Aykroyd in the role of David and John Belushi as Jack, but Landis refused because he wanted to use new faces. And Griffin Dunn said that in 2007, his biggest fear was that his mother, who was uh, very ill at the time, would not be able to handle seeing a film where her son appeared as a mutilated corpse. <laughs> so that was a good move, not having Aykroyd and uh, yes. and Belushi. Yeah. Yes. Would not have worked. That would have set the tone for, we're going to see a funny buddy movie. Well, that really wasn't, that. yeah, that would have just fallen flat. Yeah. It would have been a completely different movie. Right. Uh, I just remember Belushi and Continental Divide where, uh, where he was trying to play kind of a serious comedy and it just didn't, uh, to me, that movie just never connected. I can't, I couldn't see him doing this in this movie. Didn't he do a movie called Neighbors or something like that too with that? Yes. That, that, that I didn't yep. much care for at the time either. Yep. Didn't, it didn't go over well. So. Well, that, you know, not to go on a conversation much about John Belushi, but, you know, he, his career with, you know, Blues Brothers, Animal House, he had some successes, but he had a fair number of misses that fell pretty flat. I mean, well, personally, recall. yeah, personally, I'm not a bit, I never really was a big fan of his. I mean, I liked him in Animal House. I liked him in, in you know, Blues Brothers, obviously, cause it was a, you know, that, but outside of that, I mean, I don't know. I watched a lot of the old SNL. I mean, I was too young at the time to get it, but I mean, I've seen a lot of the old classics, uh, you know, when he was in it. And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, to me, you know, like guys like Bill Murray and Aykroyd, I think were far more funny than he was. Um, I he just, was, he was the physical comedian. I mean, and I enjoyed him for that. Yeah. But, you know, I don't remember he did a, a Western. 
prior to that, uh, all some of those uh, going south with Jack Nichols, Nicholas or Nicholson. Nicholson, you guys remember yeah. that? He played the uh, basically the Mexican bandito guy. Wow. All right, uh, another piece of trivia here. John Landis wrote the screenplay for this film while following, uh, I'm sorry, he wrote the screenplay for this film following an incident while shooting Kelly's Heroes in 1970 uh, while he was a gopher. Uh, in the countryside of Yugoslavia, while driving along a country road with a colleague, Landis encountered a gypsy funeral. The body was being buried in a massively deep grave, feet first, while wrapped in garlic so he would not rise from the dead. Hmm. So there you go. How about that? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I saw this one here, and I immediately thought of you, Brian, because I was going to ask you if you ever saw it, but evidently not, because the fake porno movie, uh, See You Next Wednesday, was the first thing to be filmed during production. I was going to ask you if you had ever seen it, but since it was actually... I, I, honest to God, <laughs> when I watched this, I thought, who the heck is that chick? And, and I, I almost did a Google search, like, the name of the actress in the porno film, and, <laughs> because I'm like... Who is that? You know. <laughs> well, I can tell you. I was looking at the cast, and I was going, "Okay, I see. Okay, that actor, that character, yeah, I recognize that." And then, if you look on Wikipedia, there's a woman named Lindsay Drew as Brenda Bristols, hmm. and Lindsay Drew is a well-known adult model and porno actress from Britain back in that period. Wow. I thought maybe it was Kitten Natividad, who was uh, no. prolific at that time. <laughs> All right. Uh, the scene with David in the cage with the real wolves was filmed in one take because uh, David Naughton would not go back into the cage with the animals. I understand. Yeah. I can't really blame him. Uh, let's see. It's, it's, uh, I, I Actually, I thought the, the, the hero, literally, the, the, one of the heroic characters was the doctor. Because he oh. was really trying to figure this thing out. He was put, I mean, typically in, in, a, in an old Hammer film, he would have been the lead because he would have figured out what was going on. He'd probably die if he's in a Hammer movie, but he would have been, you know, uh, oh, what's the guy, the vampire hunter character, uh, in the, Van Helsing. Yeah, he was kind of closest to a Van Helsing type guy where he was trying to figure out what was going on and, yeah. and all that. But, uh, they only took it so far. I did think it was funny when the, uh, police lieutenant got his head taken off because I'm like, yeah, he kind of deserved that. Yeah, he was kind of a douche. Mm-hmm. Nobody really, nobody really cared for him much. Um, included in the one thousand and one movies you must see before you die. Not sure I'm going to buy that part, but thousand and one movies. That's never quite a, saw that. Li- is that a book? I guess. Well, again, this was a. I don't know. There's no other way to say it. It was this was an important horror movie when it came out. It was unlike anything that had ever been done up to that time. It was a redo of of a. Uh, Again, nobody had been doing at least nobody had been doing werewolf movies that anybody was watching at that time. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, not long after that movie came out, I think well, maybe a few years later, but Fox, when they became became a network, had a werewolf series that came on that had Chuck Connors in it and some other played Scarzini was his name by the way. Um, but it ran for two or three seasons and it had a very kind of similar feel to it. Uh, as this did. I don't remember much about it, but I want to say that movie came out, that series came out in the mid 80s. And again, that was like literally one of the first shows Fox had when Fox had a network. Uh, and it was Chuck Connors last, I think last thing he ever did. He died not long after that. But it was a, there was no question that TV series was influenced by this movie in my mind. Interesting. 
Uh, and just so you know, there's a director cameo, um, and this particular little piece here obviously will um, um, make off our checklist, uh, number one, that anyone will go through a window. Uh, John Landis appears briefly at the end of the film. He is the bearded man who gets hit by a car and thrown through the plate glass window in Piccadilly Circus. Oh, wow. So there you go. I missed that. Yeah. No, I, I remember seeing that. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, <laughs> was pretty funny as hell. It's like, uh, I should have been laughing at some of these things. It was uh, a massacre at the end. Oh my gosh. It was like, yeah, that was, that yes. was pure pandemonium and chaos is what mm-hmm. was going on over there. But in Piccadilly Square, Piccadilly Square. Yeah. All right. Uh, gentlemen, I think it's about that time where we, um, discuss what we are imbibing with tonight uh mark you want to go first sure uh, a local kroger has an attached liquor store because it's a long story but they've got a liquor store next door to the kroger and they have beer on tap so you can buy growlers oh and nice they you know they were carrying founders uh, mosaic promise which is a nice um hoppy malty it's just a nice, clean, um, kind of a golden flavor, golden beer. Just, it's not a lager. It's not a pale ale. It's just kind of a blend of the two. Um, just a real crisp, um, beer that they have available. They're kind of wrapping it up as they start to go into their porters. But uh, if you can find it, it's, it's kind of a different take on mixing up malt and pale ale. So mosaic by founders, anything I think pretty much founders puts out is, is always considered Good quality. Oh, without a doubt. Founders one of the best breweries around there. So Yep. Um let's see, uh Reverend. Well, I, I'm tempering, uh given the incident last week with my neighbor Wynn Duffy and all. So um I'm I'm not drinking anything tonight. I'm drinking Diet Coke. Did you did you stagger into Wynn's Winnebago? Uh yes. Uh unfortunately. You know, I've had some good road trips with him over the years. You could you could imagine. Uh-huh. Actually you probably could. You have, did you upset Johnny or, or whatever his sidekick is? Yes, and obviously he uh, he died loyally uh, on behalf of Wynn later a few years ago, as you might recall. But uh, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> killed Mary Steenberg. Yes, he did. Just in case you people are wondering what the hell these guys are babbling about, <laughs> these are justified references to the Justified TV show, an excellent show. Yeah, but Wynn Duffy was my hero because yeah. It, it, <laughs> Well, I, think got, I think he got. I think he got the episodes. They got oh, this is just some stooge. He's gonna come to a bad end, and in the end, he he persevered. Yep. He was best line one. I ever best line oh. I ever heard about him was from the other um, marshal, the the sniper. Oh look, here comes the douche mobile. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great series. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it, folks, it's streaming on Netflix. Yeah, I think all six seasons. Um, or if not Netflix, Amazon, and it's a, it's a great, great series with Timothy Oliphant. It is some of the best, um, some of the best writing and the best dialogue ever. I mean, just, I, I mean, just some of the, the back and forth, and that's really the, the priceless part, the back and forth, especially between, um, Oliphant and, uh, Nick Searcy is, is priceless. Some great villains, as it were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, let's, I mean, get, they, let's get back to this movie. Yeah, yeah let's get back. Yeah, we could do we could do a whole justified podcast. There you go. Um, Several. Yeah, you could do you could do quite a few. I've always said we need to do just like favorite TV series. I mean, I've got a batch of them. I mean, Band of Brothers, Justified. Yeah. Well, okay, let's let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, let's keep, keep going. going. All right. Uh, let's see. So the Reverend's got that. Okay. So I honestly, guys, I still had a whole bunch of leftover beer from. Uh, uh, last week's um, destruction of the uh, the colonials by uh, by the Brits, the the war game that uh, we had over here. So I just kind of reached into the to the fridge and I just grabbed out what was there, and um, I downed one and I'm having another one. It is just a good old Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. There you go. So believe it or not, I did go out and buy some some beer the other night. It was Fat Tire. Hmm. Um. And it was their citrus something. I can't think of the name of it, but um, it was a tangerine beer. Not bad. I'm not the connoisseur you guys are. Yeah, it, it was. Um, I tried it. Yeah, it's kind of like you. Um, okay, not bad. Yeah, it was great to shoot down the shots of vodka last night. So that's good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh gosh! All right, um, uh, folks. Normally we will do the uh, the introduction of uh, catching up with Ken, but. Um, as you know from the last show, we had some major technical difficulties. I've still not been able to resolve why on earth when I play clips, no one can hear them except for me. And um, so we're just going to just ask Ken, uh, fill us in. What, what's the highlights of uh, of the life of Ken in the last week or so? Well, the, la- the, the highlights since the last podcast were I made a long weekend in Washington, D.C., Visiting my friend Elizabeth out there, and uh, probably the highlights were saw a nice play at the Kennedy Center, went to the Taste of D.C., went to, uh, I was an assistant in culinary school, assisting the chef in culinary school, went to a bunch of bars, many bars, hookah bars, sports bars, high-class bars, low-class bars, because uh, that's what you do when you're in Washington, you drink. Uh, and I went to the Museum of Natural History and the Museum of American History, the Smithsonian Museums. Very nice. Uh, that's one of the main reasons I go there. Felt like I was away for a long time. Got to ride in the Trump limo, for what that's worth, the Trump Hotel limo. That got a free lift. That's kind of cool. Uh, but that, that was it. Last week, went up to Steve's for a nice war game session. And I've been to a few places around town, primarily yesterday, the Brass Ring Lounge. Yeah, yeah, Brian, not <laughs> not your Brass Ring that you have the passes for. Yeah. It looked a little nicer, but some of the extras weren't quite what I would have hoped to see. So but they yes. weren't as well endowed as what you mean? Or, yeah. Actually, you've not been there, and that's actually not quite the case, but... And I did go yesterday to Glocktoberfest. How did that go? Uh, it, it went well enough that I got a good deal on a Glock and bought it and brought it home. So. Nice. Now I have my own Glock. Nice. Now I have to learn how to shoot it and been reading the lengthy owner's manual. Lots of disclaimers in a handgun owner's manual yeah. in case you know that. I'm shocked. Yeah. So anyways, that's what's been going on with me. Nice. Very nice. What are you drinking? That's a lot. 
What am I drinking? Uh, You know, when you're sitting in a moor, in a pub on the moors of northern England, many of the people there like to drink vanilla vodka and diet coke. (laughs) Indeed they do. Somebody. At least there's one person, at least. What was the line when the doctor went to the bar? He asked for a drink, and I can't remember what it was, and they all looked at him like, no, we don't have that here. <laughs> I can't remember it's what he asked for. It wasn't rum chata. I know that. It had an Italian-sounding name to it, but yeah. he got the death stare. No, pretty much that bar was a very limited menu. Yeah, very limited. Guinness, Guinness, and Guinness. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Okay. But they were a friendly bunch. Yeah, they, yeah well, there was that. I kept thinking, early. it's too heavy. <laughs> that line? Yeah, it's too oh, yeah. heavy. <laughs> that'll that'll be the one clip I'm going to put on the back end of the show, guys. So, because like I said, we can't really do clips because they, you know they're for whatever reason. Like I said, they're not they're not going over, and I I don't know why. It's it's I'm befuddled. I'm vexed. I'm very vexed. Uh, why is this? I'm I'm, I'm going to look into this now because there's got to be. Got it. You can't be the only guy in the whole Skype world that's running into this problem. It sounds like a Skype problem. I'm thinking it's got to be, but I just don't know because, like I said, I haven't I haven't made any changes to the you know to the equipment itself, you know, the mixer or anything. So right. it's I don't know. It's weird. It's very weird. Uh, but um, there, you know, there were a few uh, there were a few quotes that I I did remember um, uh, from the movie, but you know, my favorite one was. You know, when, when David's, um, actually one of the other trivia pieces is that he spends 40% of his time in this movie naked. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's Jenny Agutter should have done that. Yeah, I know. I was, I was a little disappointed in that part. You know, I was, um, and I don't, I don't know why, but I, 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 I remember when I started watching this, sounds really great, but I remember when I was watching, I was getting kind of excited because I, for some reason, I remember the sex scene. Being a lot more explicit, yeah, than than what I saw, and it just I'm, I I kind of I, I felt a little disappointed. Cheated? Yeah, I felt cheated a little bit. I was like, wait a minute, or maybe it was just my imagination. Or at the time when I saw it, you know, that was, you know, I think I might have been what sixteen or seventeen, so that just might have just been the highlight. My imagination ran wild at that point. Um, but I, I remember, I could have swore there was a lot more. And after this was over, I was like, well, shit, is this like a, you know, edited version or something? But anyway, but you know, there well, were, I, th- I think as we were younger, uh, we, we tended to read a lot more into these things and they were much more memorable. I think that is, I think you're absolutely right, Brian, because it's like, yeah, well, I guess, you know, by today's standards, that was, um, you know, that, that was, that was pretty, uh, pretty basic i mean there wasn't i mean you didn't even see any nudity i mean there was really nothing to see and he lost his uh dr pepper gig over that and that's some bullshit there well, well he could have like, that dr pepper contract for a couple more years could have bought him a house yeah really and it, it, it's not like jenny agutter didn't do nude scenes she did a lot of nude scenes back in those right. days yeah yeah because i mean it's not like they were i mean i mean it, you know there was a lot of gore in this I mean, they dropped the F-bomb more than a few times. Cause heck, that's, that's all you had to do back in the 80s. All it took was one F-bomb and our rating right there. Well, here's something that's really puzzling to me. Growing up in the late 60s, 70s, 
and it tailed off in the 80s. If you were an actress of prominence back then, there were a lot of them that did nude scenes. I mean, there was a, I mean, it, it wasn't graphic, but it was nude scenes. And it seems to me like you don't really see, you really don't see nude scenes, at least not by the, you know, the, 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 the headliners. And it was always the women back. The guys never did. That's just the way it always was. It is. But, but I've, I've often wondered that. It seemed like it, it almost seemed like a thing. You know, well, you got to do a nude scene. I mean, if you're, a, you know, and that changed. Uh, I think there's less nudity in movies now than there was then. And again, maybe it's just my memory that I just absolutely poured down and looked at every nude scene I could see back then. But I don't think that's the case. I really do think it, it was much more expected. Um, yeah, I, you're probably right. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's a thing. I have to go back and look, but I think there was, I think it was just pretty much more, you know, booby shots and that. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I mean, you really didn't have, even back then, really explicit sex scenes. I mean, some of the stuff no. you see nowadays, I mean, it's like, you know, some of the sex scenes in, in today's movies, I mean, it's borderline soft porn. I mean, it's, um, God, I, I still HBO. remember. I'm not sure big screen. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I still remember when I first started watching the Rome miniseries. I'm like, holy crap. Is there? Yeah. That, that show had a bunch. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's kind of like, holy crap. Did that, that, how did that not get an R rating? But whatever. I mean, but I mean, you had, I think Charlotte Rampling did nude scenes back in the seventies. Yep. I mean, you had a ton of them. Yeah. Uh, and you just, I mean, you're not going to get, uh, Top end female actress doing a nude scene today. You're just not. I mean, and back then, it was just very calm. Again, was it pro- protracted and graphic? No, no. It was just, you know, it was a, you know, shot from the waist up sort of thing, but, but it was still, you know, I mean, it was topless. I mean, yeah. you just don't, you don't see that by the higher end actresses today. And again, I don't, not that I, I mean, it, well, it for, was for all the kidding. I don't care. I mean, I, I'm fine with not seeing it, but, but, you know, but it was a lot more prevalent. Yeah. So back then, in the 70s and 80s, it was new. I mean, you know, the, the film code had kept that away until the late 60s. You just couldn't do it. And then late 60s, you know, the old film code died away. And many people at all levels of the entertainment industry were into this. You know, it's, it's new. It's exciting. You know, it's, let's break down these barriers. There comes a point when the barriers are all broke down. I mean, what, what, yeah, what more can you do? If, if, if you've seen it over and over, uh, you know, not that I have any problem seeing it over and over, but yeah, you, you're right. It, the, the, the idea that you could sell the Hollywood leading woman on the idea that, oh, you're going to be like making a real statement by taking your top off by about the nineties, they're going like, ah, not really. I mean, a lot of them just don't want to do it and that's fine. Well, I think they, they, they covered it in the terms of, well, this is, this is for the art. And I, instead, I just think it was a bunch of old pervy directors that had a chance to see naked <laughs> women back in those days. Uh, yeah. I think, I think that's about 75% of it. Well, and it's kind of interesting too, speaking of that part of it, but it's, I don't know how many times I've read stuff about how, you know, the, the girl in this particular, or the actress in that particular sex scene, oh, that wasn't her. It was a body double because they won't do it. It's just like, right. well, if you want to do it, then fine. You get somebody else to fill in for me. So, and again, you know, amazing what they can do with camera angles and, and all this other stuff. But I, I think that happens a lot, you know, that they just won't, um, you know, a lot of actresses, I mean, they'll, they just won't do a nude scene because they, I don't know, maybe if they, they're, they're just 
they feel that they're too good for that or they're, they're above that or, or whatever, but, but it's, it's amazing the number and I can't think of it. There's only a couple I could think of off the top of my head, but the number of times where you, you turn and find out, it's like, oh no, they, it wasn't them. It was some, it was a body double, some model that they just pull in and say, here, here, you shag this guy and then, <laughs> so. Well, I mean, again, for all my kidding about it and for my proclivities and, you know, the drive in movies back in the day, I honestly, you look back at some of those movies and you look back at when they stick them in movies now. I mean, I'll be, I love Game of Thrones. I, I could, I would like Game of Thrones without a single nude scene in it. I mean, I don't think it really adds anything. If I'm an actress, I'm like, don't give me that bullshit. Excuse my French. This, you just want me to be naked. It's not adding anything to this show. Right. That, that, Got a point. I agree. There's a lot out there. A lot of commentary has been, a lot of ink and pixels have been spilled discussing this issue. But you're right. A well-written, well-done movie doesn't need to have nudity. But nudity is quick and dirty and has, an, you know, it's... It's quick payoff. It's quick payoff, yes. I agree. All right. Uh, like I said, since we don't really have clips to do, so we're just going to... Actually, it's amazing uh, how quick a show can go <laughs> when you don't have clips to do. So, actually, what we will move on to is uh, the top movies of 1981. And, Ken, I think that is your department. It is my bailiwick. <laughs> and, uh, actually... 1981 was a good year for Man Cave movies. A number of non-Man Cave movies, but the ones I'm going to mention, you'll all agree, are pretty awesome. At number 10, Pine Bandits. Oh, we did that one. Ralph Richardson. Yeah. Nope. John Connery. A great movie. We did it. At number 9, one of the non-Man Cave movies of 1981, The Four Seasons. Alan Alda, Carol Burnett. It's a touching romance. I, I think we mentioned this movie a few weeks ago, and I think I've, I'll say the same thing that I say now: is is that that the cat? I mean, it's good. Apparently, it's a good movie. It's a Neil Simon play, I think. But it's a basically it's a TV movie cast, if you will. Yes. Burnett, Alda. No big headliners there that you would normally see. No. no. Nothing wrong with it, but yeah. Uh, at number eight, a Bond movie. Uh, a Roger Moore Bond movie, being that time period, for your eyes only. This one of my, I, I like that one. That's a pretty good Roger Moore one. Yeah, what, what, what was that one? Uh, that was the one where the uh, the Brits lost their. Um, it was some. I'm trying to remember what the hell the freaking thing. Spy was. ship. It's a spy ship, and it sank, and it had a the some type of pulp, you know, some kind of computer that basically had all the codes to all their uh, nuclear missile boats, and then the you know they had to try to go get it, and then you know of course there's the you know, this little third party group that goes to get it and they're going to sell it to the Russians and that type of thing. So I don't know. I like that one. That one's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty good one. You've got, um, oh, well, actually the, uh, the one dude that's in game of Thrones, he plays, uh, the one maester in, uh, Julian Glover. Well, yeah, Julian Glover's in that. And, um, who was in star Wars In star Wars. Yeah. And then you had, um, Topol. Is in that. Topol. Yeah. And also Carol Bouquet was the prime Bond girl with oh, yeah. uh, Lynn Holly Johnson as the backup Bond girl. Yeah. Well <laughs> This was a was this yeah, this is a one that uh 
they had the submersible car. Do I think no, right? no, that's. Uh, Oh, that's uh, with the German actor in it. Uh, no, right? yeah, yeah, it's the one with the yeah, the submersible car was. Uh, oh shit! Um, okay. the Spy well, who loved me. Then don't worry. I mean, I get <laughs> the Roger Moore movies. I just get them all confused. Yeah, I you know Moore took a shit ton of criticism back then, and obviously he just a guy trying to get a paycheck. You know, so you can't pick on the guy for being too old to do Bond. But I I I always liked the Moore movies. I mean, I I just did. I mean, I always thought he took. Unfair criticism for it again. You know, kind of like Michael Caine. He's just a guy out there trying to. He's a working actor. He's just trying to get a check. Don't pick on that guy. You know. Well, it was. It, it wasn't the shows. It was just bad. It was. They were writing bad scripts for him. That's what it was. So right. Music was Cause, always cause great. Moore did some good Bond movies, but they were putting out lots of schlock there in the right seventies and eighties. Yep. Uh, at number seven, a good drama. Chariots of Fire. Love that movie. But bear in mind, it was, I was a runner in college when that movie was out. Yeah. But it's a hell of a movie. Yeah, and it's also got a strong religious overtone. Yes, it does. Uh, Ian Charleston played, I can't make the character's name, but what's amazing to me is that that's a, it's essentially a true story. Yeah. That's what's amazing about it. Not a well, manscaped speak- movie per se, but beautifully shot. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's. It, I would say to people, it's it's probably worth um, checking. Well, the Oscar. It yeah. won the Oscar. Yeah. But yeah. it's worth catching. And it also had a great composer do the music in, in Van Gelles. Van Gelles. Mm-hmm. Great soundtrack. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I honestly, I would, I would actually call it a Van Cave movie. I really would. But, I mean, it's, you know, no blood and guts. But if you right. remember how many deformed guys there were from the... You know, because it was post World War One, and it had all oh, these yeah. Brits that were all beat up. You know, the manhood of Britain basically half of it got wiped out, not half, of it, but a ton of it got wiped out. Yeah. Well, speaking of movies based on true events, the next movie was based on a real phenomenon. That movie was the Cannonball Run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was, a, it was a real event. Yeah. It was a real event. I'm sure Brian saw it. It was in Stock Car Magazine, man. Of course I read about it. At number five, a man cave movie because we did it, Stripes. Oh, we did that one. Yep. Uh, was that yeah. Warren Oates' last movie? He had a heart attack not long after that, I thought. I think it was. Uh, at number four, this movie did well. And out in pop culture, it was always, I mean, it was showing up on TV, people talked about it, everybody said, like, it's awesome. And even back in my youth, I was just going, like, this movie's, ah, I don't get it. But that movie is Arthur. Dudley Moore comedy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't like, like oh, he's so funny. It's like, no, he's just, like, doing a bad job of playing a drunk. I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just a giggling British drunk. And no, I mean, didn't Gil Good get nominated for an Oscar? Maybe he won it for that movie? He I, may have. That was the only thing that redeemed that movie was Gil Good. Yeah. I, I hate to say it. I bought the Christopher Cross soundtrack. Or Christopher Cross album. Okay. Okay, I did. It was a big thing back then, like I said. Uh, but yeah. They could have put Foster Brooks in it. He would have done a better job. 
<laughs> That's obscure, but no better drunk than Foster yeah. Brooks. <laughs> if you grew up in the 70s and 80s watching American TV, you knew Foster Brooks. <laughs> Yeah. I would suggest that anybody who hears that name to look up, to go to YouTube and look up Foster Brooks. Yeah. Oh, he was, he had the drunk thing down. Uh, at number three, Superman 2. Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder, Christopher Reeve. It's the one where General Zod comes to Earth and Superman has to fight the other Kryptonians. Yeah. Uh, Connection to Steve's uh, Babylon Five thing. Remember, remember you you said last week or last review that uh, maybe it was Mark. I'm not sure, but uh, the lady in that uh, that was the uh, oh I can't the, the big mass murder in Babylon Five. Oh, she was also, Yes, she's she's one of the three uh, lead bad people in that along with yeah, Zod. Sarah Douglas. Oh yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, the Superman series was really big back then, but uh, and I saw Superman, but I didn't see Superman 2. I, I even as, again, as a young man, I was going like, ah, this is, I'm not, not, not a big fan. Uh, I wasn't at Steve levels of no superheroes, but even then, it just wasn't a big deal. At number two. Uh, this is kryptonite to the concept of man cave movies. <laughs> On Golden Pond. Oh. <laughs> it's my future. Imminent, <laughs> <laughs> rather. Okay. And finally, at number one, you'll all agree it's a man cave movie. It did awesome. It's still around. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. It, it, it always amazes me how a well-done movie, even by, you, you see some movies from the 80s, and they just don't don't hold up. But that movie, you could watch that movie 40 years from now, and it would hold up. Now, part of it is is it's it's a period piece, you know. And, yep. But, but just from, from every perspective, it holds up. You can watch an old pirate movie from the, you know, from the 30s and 40s, and some of them were good, and some of them were just god awful. Uh, but this is a movie that holds up. Well, and every every you know, I took my kids to see it. Every generation loves it because mm -hmm. you know it's just, it's an adventure. It's just a classic adventure movie. It it doesn't. It's not dated. No, because like you said, it is a period piece. That's what makes it so so great. No, and it was, I mean, it was Spielberg and Lucas, uh, before Lucas decided to go off in tangents that we've commented on before. But this was two guys at their peak, and they knew how to make an entertaining story. Yep. So that's the top ten movies of 1981. Cool. Nice. Yeah, well, year. yeah it was a good year. 81 was a good year. 80s actually, I think overall were pretty good years. So, all right. Well, there you go, folks. That's the top 10 movies of 81. So we are going to move on to the, uh, the man cave movie review checklist. And like I said, don't have the sound effects, but I apologize, but we're just going to do them anyway. Uh, so number one, did anyone jump out of a window? And I think I pretty much cleared that one up with the, uh, the trivia piece. Landis actually did a cameo where he went through a window. Yes. So, yep. perfect. 
Uh, let's see. Two, was there a uh, Liv Tyler role in this movie? I think Aggarder was was essential to the movie. Yeah, she had to be in there. Yes. But, but, but I think she she played it with aplomb, if you will. Yeah, the only other real female character with any real dialogue was the bartender back at the slaughtered lamb or whatever. Right. And she was necessary. Yeah. Well, she had to be there. Well, the, 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 there was the other nurse. What was it? Uh, the doctor told her. He said, "Oh uh, yeah." <laughs> what was he? What, what was he? He had a great line for her. It said something the line of, uh, uh, "I don't know." Basically, what was her job here? or Something to that effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember, but yeah, it's it's somewhere something along those oh, lines. So. Surely you performed some function here at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly British line. Yes. <laughs> Oh, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? You know, you think this movie would have one, but I didn't hear it. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hear one either. I think the fact it was done in Britain had something to do with it. There's that. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. All right. No. More serious about their craft. Yeah. Is this considered? Is it? It's considered a British movie, right? Even though you had an American yeah. director and American leads. Right. I mean, yeah, most of the technicians and everybody and, and you know, sets and studio was done in Britain. Okay. All right. Uh let's see. Could the female role be better played by Tanya Katang? I I will no. say no. Not not no. at all. No. No. Nope. Uh let's see. Next, was there a montage in any part of this movie? I Again. say no. I I didn't see one. No. This movie wasn't that type of, it wasn't built for a montage. Right. No montage. All right. Well, last and certainly not least, was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? I didn't uh, dig I, deep on this, so I don't know. I didn't dig deep, but I didn't find one. Okay. Yeah, I think the closest we could come to is uh, uh, Jenny Agater uh, starred with, um, oh, crap, forgot his name. Um, oh, M- Michael uh, in Logan's Run. Yeah, Michael from Logan's Run. And he played Arthur. Yeah, yeah. And, and then he played Arthur. So yeah, that's that's as close as I mean. I'd have to do the seven degrees of, you know, Jenny Agater to get there. But uh, anyway, that's that's about as close as I can get. Yep. So, all right. Well, there you go. That is uh, that's it with the checklist. Let's move on to the uh, the review of this great and fantastic film. Uh, who wants to take this one? Ken? What do you think? Well. You've been volunteered. You, yeah. That, uh, who wants to take it, Ken? Okay. <laughs> yeah, just... I saw, I mean, I did not see this when it first came out. Uh, when it did come out, though, there was a, you know, it got a lot of publicity. It was fairly popular, did well in the box office. Uh, as I commented earlier, it, was by John Landis. It was, in fact, it was John Landis's idea. He wanted to do a werewolf movie. He had the clout coming off of, you know, his earlier successes to put this together. It had a good cast, decent cast. Uh, de- I mean, decent story. It took it off into a different angle, like we talked about. Uh, I didn't see it, though, at the time, and I didn't see it. I mean, it, sometime later in the 80s, it probably came on, and I saw it. 
And I saw it once, and I don't think I ever saw it again until I went to see it for uh, the podcast. Uh, to tell you the truth, although you know, you're not hearing me say hostile things about it, it didn't really grab me. Uh, and I don't know why. I mean, like I, I, I mean, maybe a part of it is, uh, you know, uh, James Naughton just didn't have, you know, I don't know, the charisma to grab me in and you know, pull me in. Uh, although the dialogue was witty, uh, concept was unique. So, Having said all that, uh, I'm going to give it my straight six. Uh, and as I've said many times before, if I give a movie a six, that means, you know, I liked it. I didn't love it. Didn't really like it. I, it's, it's good. It's worth watching, worth catching. If you haven't seen it, certainly I'm not going to give it a negative review, but you know, it just didn't really cry out to me. And also a part of it is you, you asked me to do this, but. I tend not to be a monster or horror movie fan. I mean, yep. that's just not my bag. I mean, again, I'm not as bad as Steve is with superhero movies, but, uh, you know, I don't go running to the theater when a, a new horror movie is out. Some people do. There's a lot of people that really like horror movies. If you are a real horror fan and you haven't seen this, by all means, you should. Uh, like we said, it was, uh, I think, as Brian said, it's, it's sort of a bridge between the old classic movies and the feeling you get with a lot of modern horror. I think it is uh, deserving of that observation. So, again, I'll give it a six. Sounds good. Uh, just quick review, guys. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with Ken. Um, it's it, yeah, it's worth checking out. It's on Amazon right now. I, I'm going to give it a little more. I'm going to give it a seven. Um, and the reason I am is because it does a little different. It takes the genre a little differently. But also, it's still just amazing to look at the practical and makeup effects. Um, and there's some, there's some great dry, witty humor. Um, but it, I agree with Ken. It's, um, it's solid. And it's you can't get burned. It's worth if you've never seen it. It's worth checking out. Um, but I, I still think it's impressive to look at the effects, um, the acting, so so the story's okay. But I, yeah, I'll just I'm gonna give it a seven. It's it's enjoyable. Check it out. Brian, any final thoughts? Well, I'm a, I'm a lot like Mark. I'm probably uh, again the, the movie was at the time it it was it was of significance. Uh, Love the atmospherics in the movie. Uh, I mean, it was just good, good setting, good atmosphere. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the music, other, other than the background music, background music, by the way, in the movie, if you ever listen, it sounded like a freaking incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby <laughs> in it, some of the background music. It was god awful. But the, 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 the songs that they had, you know, the moon dance and things like that were really nice. And nobody was doing that at that time, at least not to that, to that level. Right. So that was good, but I'm, I'm probably seven and seven and a half. Uh, if you're a horror fan, I think you got to see the movie though. I really do. Particularly if you're, if you're trying to be a completist and, you know, watch the movies in the eighties of horror, I think you, I think you got to see this movie if you're a horror person. I'm kind of like Ken. I'm not, I'm not a huge horror fan. Uh, I watch it, but I, but I'm, you know, I don't go out of my way to watch it usually. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I'm not a 
uh, I mean, I let's put it this way: I'll watch a horror movie before I watch a superhero movie. Um, that's pretty much where I stand. But um, again, I'm I'm more of the action adventure sci-fi type of guy, so that that's where I lean. Um, but I I still I mean I I like this one. I, I'm going to be probably right around the same places as Mark and uh, Brian. I, I'll give it a seven. Um, you know, it's fun. It's it, it's it's an enjoyable movie. If you've never seen it, it is definitely worth a watch. It is probably um, a little bit more of a classic. It de- definitely had a little bit more of, I think, a um, obviously groundbreaking in terms of the uh, the makeup. You know, the makeup. You know, the makeup effects in this were just were, were just something incredible. You know, to see. You know, particularly David. I mean, or not David, but. Uh, the guy played his buddy uh, Clifford Dunn. I mean, the the makeup that they did on him was just just spot on. Um, but outside of that, I, yeah, I'll give it a seven. It's you know definitely it's definitely worth watch. It is it is streaming on Amazon, I believe. So yes, yeah, Amazon. yeah, Amazon streaming. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can go out there and and, and get it for get it for free. So anyway, all right, well, good review, guys. I like that one. Well, I'll make a comment that uh, for people who like horror, and, and and some of these movies don't get watched, uh, a movie I will mention, and I believe it's the uh, Horror of Dracula, which was 58 with Lee. And over the years, that has become considered to be perhaps the best Dracula movie ever done. So I, I want to throw that out there for folks who want to see some. Because, again, back when Hammer was just cranking this stuff out, everybody kind of didn't pay attention. But in retrospect, that movie has has by a lot of the critics, they think that's a great movie. So I, you know, I'm throwing this out. Halloween. If anybody can watch the horror of Dracula, maybe it shows up on TCM this month or something. I don't know, but check that out. It's a great movie with the great Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in it. So just, just a comment. Oh yeah. That's, you know, what is that? The one. Okay. Yeah. I know that one. Yeah. Because Cushing plays Van Helsing. I, mm-hmm. man, I haven't seen that like for, Ever, but yeah, that that definitely is definitely a good one. There's a lot of Terrence Fisher who did it again. He's a director now that it, after years later, people were like, "Hey, this guy was really pretty, pretty good director." Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of religious overtones in his movies, and and uh, it's not Dracula the the story. Nobody really's done that perfectly, but it hits all the right notes, and it it really I you know again from everything I've read and what I've it's been a long time since I've seen it. I, I would say that if you're going to see a going to see a Dracula movie. Go see that one, and then watch some other stuff, but it's a heck of a movie. Cool. All right. <coughs> Good work. All right. Uh, well, there you go, folks. That's uh, that's it with the, the Man Cave Move Review, episode 192, where we talked about an American werewolf in London. Uh, so check us out at our website at mancavemovereview.com. Look for us on uh, Facebook. Give us a like. Share us with your friends. You can follow us on Twitter, and also look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can listen to the show there. Uh, so there we are, guys. We're at 192, eight episodes away from Zardoz, and counting. So until next show. Well, some of us are counting. <laughs> some of us are counting. All right, so until next show, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, uh, Ken, I don't need a full moon to become a wolf, Roni. I had a witty line, and I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's not a full recovery. No, yeah. great recovery. Okay. <laughs>
great. Good one. All right. And uh, also saying farewell and adieu is our other good and dear friend. Mark, uh, just call me Warren Zevon Slover. Werewolf? Werewolf. <laughs> oh, nice cross-reference there. Very Thank good. <laughs> well done. And also saying goodbye and until next time, our very good and dear friend, the Reverend Deuteronomy Skaggs. Well, much like the uh, girl that Griffin Dunn kept referencing that he was pursuing in New York, uh, I always considered myself a mediocre person with a good body. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well played. Thank God you weren't a good person with a mediocre body, right? Ryan, Ryan, you're not a mediocre person. You're a very mediocre person. (laughs) You're not even above average. (laughs) But I got the body. Oh, yeah. Oh, good Lord. My dad used to have a phrase, son, I'm built for speed. (laughs) Not for comfort. Oh, good Lord. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, We we will be signing off with episode 192. Hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time, ciao. engines run low on petrol so they have to lighten the plane so they heave out all the baggage but it's still too heavy so they chuck out all the seats but it's still too heavy finally this froggy steps up shouts vive la france and leaps out then an englishman he steps up shouts god save the queen and he leaps out but the plane is still too heavy so the yank delegate from Texas, he steps up, shouts, Remember the Alamo! And jokes out the Mexican! <laughs> <laughs>